managed to uh, punch punch a chord right then. That was really good timing, Pete. You're not gonna say it. Somebody should. Let's talk about two time. Let's talk about bum one, yeah. Asking the questions that nobody could. Like where are the bone dogs and are they in harmony? Hey, sorry, everyone. We had a microphone problem that has been resolved. I had to tighten a screw. You believe it? Wouldn't you think that by almost episode 500, you'd be famous enough that uh, you'd have someone to tighten your screws for you? Well, welcome to this episode 499. Um, In our last episode, we outlined a series of labors that had to be accomplished in order... I'm really out of breath. I guess tightening that screw was harder than I thought. <sighs> okay, in the last episode, we talked about the 12 labors of Snowman Killies, which are the 12 things that have to be accomplished before episode 500 will be released. So far, none of them have been accomplished. Uh, we did... One of them, however, is... T- uh, I got 25 belt buckles commemorating the episode 500, and each of them have to be claimed. During the last episode, they weren't in yet, and they are now in, and I think three have been claimed. So, uh, we're on our way to 25. How do you claim one, you might ask? You just do it. You contact me, you said, I'll take one, and you do it. Now, if you live in a foreign country, that's going to be complicated, but I'll probably still send it to you. Um, We'll just have to see. But you can only claim one for yourself. Don't say, do not email me and be like, I'll have one for me and one for my wife. That's not how it works. One for me and two for my son. And not how it works. Got to claim your own. So anyway, this is episode 499. And uh, the next episode that we have, unless miraculously all these tasks get done very soon, will be 499B, and then we'll have 498B. (laughs) We'll just keep counting down uh, until the tasks are done, at which point we'll count back up to 500, and I guess that'll be C, and uh, then we'll get to 500. So this is a, a very exciting, exciting project. You know, I was a little worried at first because I was like, what if we never get to 500? Like, what if we keep just counting down and never get there? And I was like, yeah, that'd be fine. You know what? That'd be fitting for this show, and I'm fine with that. It would be just hilarious to me to have this thing of like, I put up these 12 labors, not super difficult. And uh, they never got done, so we never got to episode 500. And we'll just keep bouncing back and forth. I don't know if at episode 1, if we would, uh, if then what we'd have to do is either go into negative numbers or, or uh, 
back up again, or maybe I would just have to do a random number generator at that point and just be like, well, the linear number thing is kind of pointless now. So now we'll just do <laughs> this is episode blah, 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 blah. Um, okay. So today, because this is other than that, this is the same stupid fucking show and episode 500 is the same. Stu I guess I could tell you what episode 500 is about too. Um, I went out to the Genoa Tower and dropped a crock pot from the top of the tower. It was awesome. You can see a little movie about it on any of my social medias or YouTube or whatever. Uh, smash that subscribe button, I guess. It was fun. It worked out. And for episode 500, it's a two and a half hour drive each way. So it's about a five-hour episode of me going through lists of, like, uh, things. So some of these are stupid lists, like a list of 10 fast food-related romance novels I made up because I read that KFC romance novel. Or, like, the 10 best pieces of advice I can give since this was an advice show at one time. All kinds of shit. So basically a bunch of lists I went through. Um, for about five hours. <laughs> and I didn't get through all the lists either. So maybe we'll do some more of the lists on this show. But uh, hey, we'll see. I've got them sitting here in a pumpkin bucket. Because uh, I bought nine pumpkin buckets at the Habitat for Humanity Restore. Because I, I remember in the past I was like, ooh, I could do this Halloween decorating with them. I could do that. And I went online to get them because I was like, maybe you can get like 50 of these and they end up being 50 cents a piece. But I don't think I could ever find them cheaper than like maybe a couple dollars. So when I saw them at the restore for a dollar a piece, I was like, well, you got to get them. So I bought nine of these buckets and then walked. It's about a mile from where I work. So I walked a mile with like nine pumpkin buckets and, uh, it was a very on-brand thing for me to do. I was also, the, the funny part was I was very proud of myself because I'd been to the Ark the day before. And uh, they had a, like, enormous uh, poster slash foam board diagram of the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek TNG. And so it was like a cutaway diagram so you could see. And it was like, ooh, here's where the ready room is. Here's where, you know... 10 forward is here's where all this stuff is and I, I just took a picture of it and sent it to poon master flex and was like i just want you to know that i love you uh so much that i did not buy this for our house and she did actually appreciate it and it was one of those things where i was like i kind of like this but honestly i will probably would have been more likely to get it if it was like an 11 by 17 i mean it was giant it was probably two feet by four feet, something like that. But uh, yeah, and there was a day I was very proud of myself because I was like, there was a time when you would have purchased this for sure and then walked a mile back to work with it. But whatever, you would have been like, this was the right decision. And then today you're like, this is the right decision. But then the next day I bought nine pumpkin buckets. So I don't, I don't know if I've really... I did make a right decision, but I don't know that I'm going to continue to make the right decisions all the time. <laughs> uh, so anyway, today's, today's episode, I thought 
it would be funny to look through the plots of Scooby-Doo Where Are You episodes from the 70s. Um, the reason being, I just think that the plots of this show are hilarious. Um, so I'm going to start, I'm going to actually start with the last one. Um, but I, I just, because I was like, my memory of Scooby-Doo is like, Scooby-Doo is a show I watched quite a bit as a kid. But it was one of those, sh most Hanna-Barbera cartoons, Jetsons, Flintstones, all that stuff. You watched it as a kid because it was what was on. Like, this was way before the days of uh, cartoon networks and whatnot. And so you just kind of, you're like, well, if it's a cartoon and it's on and it's Saturday morning, that's probably what I'm going to watch. But you'd be watching the Flintstones and it's not like I was like cracking up. Or you'd be watching Scooby-Doo and I was kind of like, oh, I, I wasn't super engaged in the mystery, if I'm totally honest. So let's take a look, though, because I'm like, maybe it's not as bad as I thought, but probably it's worse. Uh, let's see. Episode 41. The gang goes or the beast is awake in the bottomless lake. Well, at least it rhymes. Uh, the gang goes to Canada. This is. This always cracks me up on uh, uh, Wikipedia because it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like they link to Canada, to the Wikipedia page for Canada, as if like I'm looking at this and, you know, the next one has England. It's got Puerto Rico. It seems like they did a lot of traveling in the later Scooby-Doo, except the funny thing is when you're working on an animated show... It's not like, you know, when the Full House show goes to Hawaii because somebody is like, you know, once I have enough pull, we can take a vacation in Hawaii by just saying like, well, the thing that makes the most sense for this family is to go to Hawaii. And then you're like, and so in order to do that, we have to film there and uh, be there for a really long time, which I would argue pretty vehemently against. So I'd be like, you seen these Marvel movies? They were on fucking Asgard land. They didn't actually go anywhere. They were in a soundstage in Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't think we need to take you to Hawaii. If they could invent Asgard and a rainbow bridge uh, that's managed by Idris Elba, I think we can make a fake Hawaii. Also, I'm like, I don't know. You film all kinds of other shit. I was watching Justified. And it's supposed to be in, like, rural Kentucky. And there's a lot of parts of it that I'm like, boy, fellas, that looks an awful lot like Los Angeles. Like, the 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 nature around here. The plants and shit. Look a little more deserty than I'd expect in Kentucky. So it's like, I don't know. One beach is as good as another. Anyway, uh, the gang goes to Canada at the newly deserted village of Bottomless Lake. It turns out that a beast has scared everyone away. <laughs> why? It doesn't say why. Well, that's okay. I mean, I like that that's the last episode from this sort of original series because it's like, okay, you know what? You know what? This makes sense. Uh, a beast has scared everyone away, probably for some kind of financial or personal reason. And uh, that makes sense. I wonder if there was ever an episode where it's like a monster scared everyone away 
And they were like, oh, it was probably old man Furley or whatever. And then they're like, oh, it actually was the monster. The monster figured out this scheme to make a lot of money, which we would have thought only humans could do up to now. But it turns out, monster, this is a pretty financially savvy monster. We really need to reevaluate what we think. Okay. Episode 40, The Warlock of Wimbledon. The gang meets Jimmy Pelton, a star tennis player, while cruising England. Cruising England. Jimmy has been cursed by the warlock Anthos that if he plays in Wimbledon, he is doomed. Who wrote this description? He has been cursed by the warlock Anthos that if he plays in Wimbledon, he is doomed. Don't you want to say, like, a curse by the warlock Anthos... uh, for I don't, how does that work? If you're if you're a pro tennis player, and the thing is like if you play at Wimbledon, then you're doomed. Isn't that already the curse? Like, isn't the curse and the uh, punishment of violating the curse? You know what I mean? Like, double cursed? What's the curse? If you're if you're a, I don't know. This is like being one of those championship hot dog eaters, and they're like. But if you enter the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, you'll be cursed. And it's like, well, isn't this the curse then? I can't enter the contest, the one contest that really everyone acknowledges is the contest for this thing. So I'm already cursed. So maybe I should just go for it. What if it turned out the curse was just like, mm, you know, you'll never really have an underwear, a pair of underwear that fits quite right ever again. And it would be like, yeah, that would suck. Always tugging at your shorts and shit, but overall it's like, eh, you know, I'd trade it. 39. The gang arrives. Oh, don't go near the fortress of fear. Somebody really likes these rhyming. The gang arrives at Puerto Rico to visit the ancient fortress El Moro. While there, the kids run into a ghostly general who warns them to stay away from his creepy fortress. You kids stay away from my creepy fortress. <laughs> Don't you realize I made it creepy so that kids like you would stay away from it? That's the whole fucking point. Stupid assholes. I, I just like the idea of the guy calling his own fortress a creepy fortress. Yeah, it's creepy. I know that. Do you think I don't know that? What do you take me for? 38. Continuing our rhyme, a menace in Venice. Oh, and there's a ghostly gondolier. The gang goes to visit their friend Antonio in Venice. They soon find out that a ghost is haunting him, and the ghost plans to steal an ancient, the ancient necklace Antonio is wearing. <laughs> See, now that seems... Some of these capers, right? Like you have these... Uh, sorry, I used the word caper. I just saw it when I was scrolling. Um, unfortunately. Some of these capers, it's like, okay, I get it. Like... A ghost is haunting this theme park, and then it turns out that, like, the ghost is actually this guy who wants to buy the theme park, and he's like, if I can make it so unpopular that no one goes there anymore, I can buy it really cheap. And then the owner of the theme park is like, Scooby-Doo gang, help me out. This ghost is ruining my theme park. I can't get anyone to go. Gosh, I'll have to sell. And I'm like, all right, that makes sense. But when it's just straight up, it's like practically, it's one minor step removed in this case from just being a ghost wanted to steal a bunch of money. (laughs) 
A ghost is trying to get into a bank vault and steal the money out. Oh, okay. I have some reasons to think that this might not be a ghost. I know this is going to be a shocking revelation. Let's see. Um, Scooby's Chinese fortune cookie caper. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the gang runs into the moon monster. There are rumors that if you run into his shadow, you'll be turned into stone. Okay, that's... At least that's something. That seems like a, a newly invented monster, right? Is there a moon monster? Moon monster. The first thing that comes up is Scoobypedia. Turn into... Let's see. Monster turns you into stone if you touch shadow. Well, that's like a... Ah, there's a, a, an episode of something called Taken for Granted. That might be, that might be a, a bigger, a better pun than, than yours. I mean, yours rhymes. Fortune cookie caper. I guess this has something to do with some kind of Asian thing just because there's an Uncle Chin Wong Sing involved. Uh, 36, the Diabolical Disc Demon. <laughs> the gang goes to Decade Records recording studio to see a live recording from their friend Jimmy Lewis. However, when songwriter Tony Sines disappears and a ghostly musician begins searching for his latest song, it is up to the gang to solve the mystery. I really hope that this one is about, like, you know, uh, how Motown Records screwed everybody or something. And so he's like, I'm just trying to get my original master. Like, this is like the Taylor Swift story. Trying to get my original masters. And it really becomes an ex expose on the uh, recording industry. Maybe towards the end here, maybe Hanna-Barbera knew that Scoob and the gang were done after this season. So they were like, you know what I'm pissed off about is this, this whole thing with records. <laughs> you know, there's a long long part with just the guy talking and explaining how record sales and royalties worked back then. Uh, 35. The creepy creature of Vulture's Claw. The gang discovers a humanoid mantis creature roaming around the Vulture's Claw Botanical Gardens. Now see, okay, I have mixed feelings about it. On one hand, Vulture's Claw Botanical Gardens does seem like a uh, name that is not it feels like it's going to repel people. It doesn't. It's not welcoming you with open on arms, right? Vulture's Claw Botanical Gardens. That sounds like the name of a natural area, though. It does seem like, for some reason, like the Forest Service or whoever names a lot of these areas, they go a lot more metal sometimes. It feels. It feels they'll go like, you know, this is a suicide by hanging ridge. <laughs> this is. Uh, Bullet to the head range. You know, there's the gore range in Colorado, which probably is not named for like the gore in George Romero's zombie films. But I mean, what the fuck? And you can't help but think about it. Maybe some people think about the environment and inconvenient truth. I don't know. On the other hand, though, I'm like, I mean, the Denver, the Denver one is like the Denver Botanic Gardens. Oh, wow. Very creative. What's the, uh, what's the museum? The Denver Museum of Natural History. Oh, gee. Wow. 
so creative. So I don't know, maybe if they were like Eagle's Talon, Hellhole of Death Gardens, I'd be like, well, they went for it. I'm gonna, I need to put this down as an eccentric millionaire idea. Start a botanic gardens and give it like a, a horrific name. 34. Make a beeline away from that feline. As the gang goes to New York City to visit Daphne's aunt, they learn from her that a strange and unexpected package containing a cat medallion arrived at her door. She believes that every night she turns into the cat creature, the same cat creature that robbed a jewelry store in town. That's awesome. That is a great... I, I hope that in this one, uh, Daphne's aunt, aunt is like... Uh, hilarious, weird, eccentric New York lady. That would really make this this whole show. That would be like, now I could see why people, why this has become, become a classic. Because if I was an adult watching it, I'd be like, you know, this is like watching Superman Returns and Parker Posey saves the day because she's just like in a completely different movie from everybody else. Um, in And in the case of a movie that's not very good, that's a, a positive 33, Jeepers, it's the Jaguaro. Jaguaro? Jaguar. After an emergency landing in a jungle in Brazil, the gang get caught between headhunter natives and the Jaguaro, a creature with the head of a Smilodon and the body of an ape? What? What's a Smilodon? A, the, okay. Wikipedia, what the fuck? Like when you you just hover over Smilodon, Smilodon, you get a picture of the skeleton, and here's what you get: Smilodon is a genius, a genus of the extinct Machairodont subfamily of the fields, felids. It is one of the most famous prehistoric mammals and the best-known saber-toothed cat. Tell me. It's a saber-toothed tiger. Although commonly known as the saber-toothed tiger, it was not closely related to the tiger or other modern cats. Start with that. Don't, don't start with this genus of the subfamily, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares about that. All right? I'm not in eighth grade biology. I don't need to know the genus anymore. Just... Just tell me, this is what everyone thinks of as a saber-toothed tiger, and I'll be like, ah, oh, gotcha. It's actually not related to a saber-toothed tiger. Really? Or modern cats? Really? It looks an awful lot like a cat. To me. I don't know. What, what the hell do I know? Uh, the creepy case of old Iron Face. <laughs> as the gang go water skiing, they encounter old Iron Face, a phantom who is supposed to have a hideous face. Later, the gang's guide, Captain Morgan, disappears and they set out for the island to find him. That was a definitely like looking around. Let's see. Uh, what do we got? We got some rum here. Got, a, got the space heater, or as I call it, old iron face. Done. 31. A highland fling with a monstrous thing? The gang travel to Scotland to visit their friend Aggie McDuff, who says people have left her castle in fear after ghost sightings. It seems the ghost plays bagpipes to call on the Loch Ness Monster to help him scare people away from the castle. This is, okay, this is when Scooby-Doo, there's a fine line. 
Because I just explained a Scooby-Doo plot that I would accept, and it is a little complicated, but there's a fine line to these where it's like, okay. Because in this one, it's like, why is a ghost using a ghost bagpipe to call the Loch Ness Monster to scare people away from the castle? Can't a ghost, just being a ghost, do that? Does it need to, like, call in another ghost? People aren't scared of the ghost, but they are scared of the Loch Ness Monster. The fuck? 30. The Tar Monster. The gang go to the ancient city of Byzantius in Turkey. On the way there, they meet the Tar Monster, who frightens the workers away while opening the Inner Sanctum. At the Inner Sanctum, am I supposed to know what that is? Is that a thing? The Tar Man. I wonder if that's like the Tar Man from, uh, shit. Not Night of the Living Dead. Not Day of the Dead. Not Day, Dawn of the Dead. Return of the Living Dead. Thank you. Good job, Pete. Return of the Living Dead has a, uh, is a, a zombie movie that came out somewhere in that George Romero original trilogy era. And it's kind of beloved, but it also kind of sucks. It's much goofier in tone than a bunch of the other ones. But there is a, an extremely gratuitous scene of uh, Linnea Quigley dancing around completely naked on a grave for no reason. Um, it's amazing watching older horror movies because the nudity in them is so gratuitous that now, now I know what that means. I think Friday the 13th Part 2... There's a part where a lady goes skinny dipping for no reason. She just goes to a lake at night, takes all her clothes off, frolics around in the water, and then comes back out, puts her clothes on, and goes to the cabin. Nothing happens while she's skinny dipping. Like, nothing happens to her. And it's not like she's out doing that. And then you would expect, right, she's out skinny dipping and then... She feels a hand touch her, and she's like, oh, quit screwing around. And then it's a, a hand with no body attached or some shit like that, right? Uh, that's not what happens at all. Nothing happens except she gets naked and swims around. And I was like, oh, okay, that's gratuitous. New Here's what's gratuitous about it. It wouldn't be that hard to come up with a reason for someone to be nude and then, like, a, you know, reason for them to discontinue their nudity one or the other right but instead it's just like nope it just happens uh let's see 29 to switch a witch on halloween night the new england town of salem massachusetts is being haunted by the ghost of the witch melissa wilcox spelled m-i-l-i-s-s-a who was burned at the stake in 1778 after receiving a distrust call from their friend Arlene Wilcox, a descendant of the accused witch, the gang arrives to help despite being warned off by the town's mayor. The gang realizes the witch looks exactly like Arlene. Well, okay. Great. <laughs> I don't know the witch thing. I'm just not into the witch thing. Like, I'm not into the whole, like, can you fucking believe... That, you know, they burned witches and then it's like, this was just a way to keep down women and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, does that seem that outrageous to people? I, yes, it's outrageous in the sense of like, if someone was doing that today in Massachusetts, we'd be like, what the fuck is going on? 
But for the time period and the sorts of other things that everyone seemed to be doing at that time, I'm like, I mean, this isn't good behavior, but it's not like unexpected. It's not like everything else seemed utopic, but this one thing they were doing was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> 28, a scary night with a snow beast fright. After being invited by Professor Kruger at the North Pole, the gang finds out that he has been captured. After they meet an Inuit named Chief Minook, he gets captured as well, and the gang attempts to solve the mystery. Okay. Well, I, hopefully for them, you know, some of these I wonder, these international ones, I'm like, I wonder how uh, culturally sensitive this was in 1978. But, uh, eh. You know, I'm not going to worry about it because uh, I wouldn't recommend watching Scooby-Doo anyway. So, it, you know, whatever. I, ca I cannot recommend it for a different reason, too. But uh, it, this isn't one of those things where I'm like, you know, the Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu comics are actually really good. You do have to get past a, a few things here and there. But overall, I think if you read it, you'll find that, like, the... Uh, the things that we would call racist today are things that were progressive for the time and were brand new for comics. So if you can kind of put yourself in this mind, that's not how I feel about Scooby-Doo. I'm like, I don't know if you need to watch it anyway, so fuck it. 27, a creepy tangle in the Bermuda Triangle. That does not rhyme as much as they think. I know triangle and tangle look similar. A creepy tangle in the Bermuda Triangle. While a boat flowing down the Gulf Stream... While on a boat floating... Flowing... Okay. While on a boat flowing down the Gulf Stream, the gang end up in the Bermuda Triangle and discover an airplane-snatching flying saucer and a trio of skeleton men. That's awesome. I like that. That's, that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. That's where somebody was like, let's just go a little wild on this one. Bermuda Triangle, check. Aliens, check. Skeleton men, aliens, yes. Done. 26. Watch out, the Willowaw. While visiting Velma's Uncle Dave, the gang find out he has been kidnapped from his home and that a mysterious Willowaw is haunting the area. Do you think a Willowaw is a real thing? Willowaw. Oh, it's in meteorology. Is a sudden blast of wind. Uh, well, there's a, a restaurant. I can already tell this is not a restaurant that I'm happy about. Anchorage's first multi-use gathering space featuring Steam Dot Coffee Shop, a rooftop bar, Blues Central Speakeasy, casual American cuisine, craft cocktails. I think um, speakeasies are hilarious to me because I'm like, if somebody time traveled from Prohibition era to now and then was like, oh, this is great. You can just like drink and go to a bar. And then they're like, ooh, and we have these speakeasies too. I think that person would be like, why would you do that? This is pointless. This is so dumb. You're dumb and bad. 25, don't fool with a phantom. <laughs> uh... While participating in the Johnny Sands dance game show at a TV station in Los Angeles, the teens encounter a phantom made of wax. 
who steals a safe full of money and kidnaps the station manager. They track him down to a nearby wax museum, no sense, full of famous figures used in Hollywood movies and TV shows where the Phantom relentlessly pursues them. Uh, this was the original series finale. The series went off the air for like eight years after this. Um, that sounds so 70s, and that's what I like about it. They are on the Johnny Sands Dance Game Show. So they're dancing, game show, there's a host, I'm sure. It's, that sounds good. That sounds extremely 70s, if not terribly spooky. Who's afraid of the big bad werewolf? While trying to relax during a camping trip, the gang hears the sound of a wolf howling through the night and finds strange wolf-like tracks on the ground. I know this sounds really weird, but if you're out camping in the woods and you see a bunch of wolf tracks and hear wolf howls, I wonder if it may be a wolf. They followed them throughout the forest to the open and empty grave of a man named Silas Long, who was supposedly a werewolf. They follow his tracks further to an old abandoned sawmill filled with wool, empty barrels with short tubes sticking out of them, and the werewolf's ghost himself. Okay, so this is a reanimated corpse of someone that's also a ghost. This is what I'm talking about. This is when I'm like, I feel like maybe this one got a little overly complicated, got away from you a little bit. How many things do we need? Maybe two, I guess at this point, because that's episode 24. Maybe at that point they were like, hey, shit, let's use one thing per episode because like, if this is going to be on for another hundred years or whatever, uh, we're going to be scraping the barrel pretty quick here. 23. A tiki scare is no fair. Okay, good one. Shaggy and Scooby's vacation in Hawaii is interrupted by a ghostly witch doctor who warns the tourists and natives they are on sacred grounds of the island god Mano Tiki Tia and to stay away from the cursed village. Later, the gang's guide, John Sims, goes missing, so it is up to the gang to search for him in the supposedly cursed village, where they eventually run into the witch doctor and the giant living statue of Mano Tiki Tia. See, doesn't that sound like, let's go to Hawaii? Maybe there was somebody working on the show. Like, there's a photographer and, like, a sound designer. And they were like, oh, we really need to go to make sure the sounds are authentic. Hanna-Barbera is like, yeah, sounds good. Whatever. I can't imagine that happening because it did seem like Hanna-Barbera cartoons were so cheap. But uh, what do I know? 22. Haunted House Hangup. The mystery machine overheats in front of an old spooky mansion, and the gang goes to look for help, but finds out that the house is being haunted by the headless specter, a terrifying phantom with no head. The mystery gets even stranger when they begin to hear knocking sounds and clues leading to a treasure. They're like, a treasure, a headless, a ghost. Does it really, if a ghost is headless, isn't the fact that it's a ghost more interesting than the fact that it's headless? In other words... If somebody, if there's a ghost, would it, why would it need to conform in any way to human physiology? Do you think that's air you're breathing right now, ghost? I do like this idea, though. This seems to lay in the possibility that the mystery machine is haunted and it breaks down on purpose in front of things that it's like, ooh, there's a ghostly presence here. 21. Scooby's Night with a Frozen Fright. While out fishing, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo hook a two-million-year-old caveman frozen in a block of ice. 
which the gang learns was lost at sea during a violent storm. Sure. They take the caveman to the Oceanland Aquarium, but when someone melts the ice block, idiot, and the caveman goes on a rampage, the gang decides to stick around and investigate. This has a lot of... This one is so far, if I had to watch an episode, this would be the one. Because it's like, I could just picture, oh, I got a big one, Scoob, and he pulls out this enormous ice block with a guy in it. And then, of course, like, let's melt this ice block, and then what's the caveman going to do? I'm just going to rampage. That's going to be my uh, choice of activity immediately after being unfrozen. Should I, should I say that? Should I be like, if I die and I'm frozen, I just want you to know when, I un when you unfreeze, I'm just going to go on a rampage. Whatever that may be. 20. Jeepers. It's the Creeper. Well, on their way to their high school's barn dance... They're in high school? The gang comes across a knocked-out bank guard and his ransacked car. After he mumbles to them some clues, they discover that the local banks have been robbed by a mysterious zombie-like phantom called the Creeper, who later shows up on the uh, shows up the dance, cuts the power, and chases the gang all around the farm. Well, that actually... So that horrible plot that I came up with of, what if it was a ghost who steals money? They were like, oh, we did that like 10 episodes ago. <laughs> 19. Mystery Mask Mix-Up. After attending a Chinese New Year parade in San Francisco, Daphne buys a golden mask in a curio shop. The gang then visits Mr. Fong, who tells them that the mask was stolen many centuries ago from the crypt of a Chinese warlord named Zen Tuo. When the ghost's two zombie henchmen kidnap Daphne and take the mask, the gang set out to the temple to rescue her and solve the mystery. There's a, there's a column here. Oh, they have a column for the chase song of each one. This one is, uh, uh, I Can Make You Happy. Their, their name's like, Recipe for My Love, Daydreaming, Seven Days a Week, Love the World, Tell Me, Tell Me, Pretty Merry Sunlight. This is hilarious. 18, on their way, oh, 18, Nowhere to Hide, H-Y-D-E. Now there, there you go. Thank you. On their way home from the malt shop, the gang, <laughs> capitalized, the gang encounters the ghost of Mr. Hyde in the back of the mystery machine who runs through a marsh and sneaks into a spooky house. The house turns out to be the home of Dr. Jekyll, the great-grandson of the novel character, who fears he may be transforming into the ghost. The gang begins searching the house for clues, pegging Helga, Jekyll's housekeeper, as a likely suspect, but they are pursued at every turn by the ghost. So this is the ghost of Mr. Hyde. Again, they were like, okay, let's do Mr. Hyde, but we'll have the ghost of Mr. Hyde. Think about that. Now that's spooky shit. Uh, 17, that's snow ghost. Okay, that's snow ghost. Gotcha. That's no ghost. Well, on a skiing vacation at Wolf's End Lodge, Wolf's Butt Lodge, the kids are scared by the ghost of a yeti called the Snow Ghost, who is believed to turn anyone he captures into ghosts. Is that a fancy way of saying he just kills people? I was turned into a ghost. Oh, you mean murdered? Well, yeah. In search of clues, the gang meets a Tibetan hermit who thinks he is responsible for summoning the monster. Way to go, idiot. 16. A night of fright is no delight. 
Scooby-Doo is named in the will of Colonel Beauregard Sanders, an eccentric millionaire whose life he saved several years earlier. The only way to claim the inheritance is for Scooby and the other four heirs, Cousin Simple, Nephew Norby, Cousin Maldehyde, and Cousin Slicker to spend the night in the Colonel's mansion, which they quickly learn is haunted by two phantom shadows, later revealed to be two green ghosts who chase the gang all over the mansion. I might have a new front runner here. That's a good one. I like that Scooby-Doo, a dog, is named in the will of a Colonel Sanders. An eccentric million. This is the classic plot, right? This is kind of what I assumed every Scooby-Doo episode was. An eccentric millionaire puts someone in their will, but only if they do a spooky thing. But also... They introduce like three other Scooby-Doo's <laughs> and one is Cousin Simple, which would be really mean, except for it's like, eh, you know, he's a dog. So I guess if you call the dog simple, that would, that's not so bad, right? I mean, a dog, let's be honest. Dogs are fairly simple. Simple pleasures. 15. Go away, ghost ship or go away, ghost ship. The newspaper reports that local shipping company owner C.L. Magnus's company is going out of business because the ghost of the pirate Redbeard is haunting the harbor and looting Magnus's ships. After reading the story and consulting Magnus, the gang heads out to the sea to see if they can stop the ghost, but soon find themselves trapped aboard an eerie ghost ship. This makes me wonder like, if anyone has ever uh, tried a Scooby-Doo type plot to like win win back a you know a ship or a carnival or whatever has anyone actually done this it would be kind of great if someone did 14 spooky space it would be kind of great for somebody like me who does a podcast 14 spooky space kook the mystery machine runs out of gas in front of the rural farmhouse where the farmer wants them of an abandoned airfield nearby which is haunted by a ufo and its ghostly extraterrestrial pilot Okay, I can. I'm alien. That's fine. That seems pretty basic. But again, mystery machine mysteriously runs out of gas, eh? Oh, the mysteries of this machine. Thirteen. Which witch is which? While lost in a swamp, the gang comes across a zombie who spooks them. In the nearby town of Swampsend, they learn that the, a witch nearby brought the zombie to life, and the gang investigates. See. Episode 13, you can be excused for burning zombie and witch in one one episode. But uh, later on, they'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> which, which is which? I think they worked harder on that title than anything else in the show. 12, Scooby-Doo and a Mummy 2. While visiting a museum, the gang learn about the legend of Anka, a 3,000-year-old mummy. Legend had it that the mummy will come back alive and turn people to stone if he is removed from his tomb. Shaggy later finds a coin in his pocket from the exhibit, and when the gang go back to return it, they find the mummy has come to life and turned the professor to stone, and now he wants Shaggy's coin. First of all, he wants Shaggy's coin, which Shaggy just found in his pocket. Come on, Shaggy. Uh, Shaggy's a thief and deserves to what he gets. The only reason to save Shaggy is because Scoob would be sad, and Scooby is a dog, so you know he doesn't know any better. 
Um, <laughs> I wonder if anyone's ever tried to get out of the death penalty by being like, this guy has a very loyal dog. And so can he just have a stay of execution until his dog is dead of natural causes, at which point we can do the death penalty? Because the dog would just be really sad. And you can't explain it to a dog. The dog doesn't know. 11. A gaggle of galloping ghosts. While on their way to Frankencastle, Mystery Inc. stopped to get their fortunes told by a gypsy fortune teller. She warns them they will meet their doom if they go to the castle. Scooby and the gang go to the castle anyway, where they are confronted by Count Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, and the Wolfman. Holy shit. Haunted Castle, Fortune Teller, uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman. See, this is episode 11. Whoever wrote this one, I bet, was, was getting fired. And so he was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm going to use up everything in here. How do you like that? 10. Bedlam in the Big Top Mystery Inc. meets a strong man and a midget. Uh, these are the... By the way, midget, gypsy, this is all what's just written here. So, there you go. Both on the run from a circus allegedly haunted by a ghost clown. Ooh. <laughs> the gang goes to the circus grounds to investigate, but Daphne, Shaggy, and Scooby fall victim to the ghost clown's powers of hypnotism. I guess I don't know why a ghost clown is a hypnotist, but whatever. A really, ghost clown is just... That's a pretty good one. I like that one. I wonder when Stephen King wrote It. I feel like it was after this. It. An extremely difficult book to, to Google. Yeah, that was 1986, so it was like 15 years later. This could be one of the original spooky clowns. Number nine, the backstage rage. While getting a pizza, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo come across a violin case filled with counterfeit money. Sure. While Scooby is distracted by a dog puppet, the case of money is stolen away. Shaggy, Scooby, and the rest of the gang find a string puppet controller at the scene and follow it to a local puppet theater, where they uncover a counterfeiting operation controlled by a spooky puppet master. <laughs> For some reason, he's got puppets. For some reason, he's using that as a front for counterfeiting money. I mean, I guess if I saw a puppet store and it was like, what do we sell here? Puppets. I'd be like, well, A, there's like no way that pays the bills, right? And B, if they look creepy, maybe that keeps people out of there. So you're like, all right, there's not going to be a bunch of idiots walking around investigating here because they're like, fuck that. A, the puppet store has no name. B, it's creepy. Let's just rob anything else. Uh, let's see. Eight, foul play in Funland. The gang notices that the carnival Funland appears to be operating by itself, so they go to investigate. They soon discover a crazy robot running loose, but when they notify the caretaker, he and his sister rebuff them, convincing the kids to solve the mystery themselves. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, what what a weird thing if a carnival ran itself instead of, you know, crazed carnies running it. <laughs> it's actually maybe a little less scary than how if you go to one of those carnivals they set up in a Walmart and you're like, a guy who probably hopefully finished junior high disassembles and reassembles this thing that goes, you know, 40 miles an hour in a loop uh, 150 times this summer. Can't see that going wrong. Never ape an ape man. 
The gang gets jobs as extras on Daphne's Uncle John's set of his new movie, The Ape Man of Forbidden Mountain, which is based on the legend of an ape man. However, the legend soon comes true and the ape man terrorizes the set and the gang. <laughs> I just like rampaging, terrorizing. This is, this is great. Six, what the heck's going on? H-E-X. The gang pay a visit to their friend, Sharon Weatherby, whose uncle Stuart has been cursed by the ghost of the family's neighbor, Elias Kingston. When Uncle Stuart disappears altogether, Mystery Inc. ventures into the abandoned and allegedly haunted Kingston Mansion next door in search of him and the ghost. That sounds pretty prototypical, right? Let's go into a haunted mansion. 5. Deep Koi for a Dog Napper When a series of local dog nappings alarms prize-winning dog trainer Buck Masters, the gang offers to have Scooby-Doo pose as a decoy to catch the dog nappers. However, their plan works too well as Scooby is himself dognapped, leading the gang to discover that the dognappers appear to be under the command of a ghostly Indian witch doctor. See, now that's a good plot. I like that. It's like, I know, let's use Scooby-Doo and then we'll have him figure out who's getting kidnapped. The only problem with this plan is that Scooby-Doo is obviously a more valuable dog than any show dog. Because he can solve fucking mysteries. He can kind of talk. Uh, he knows enough to laugh demurely with his paw in front of his face. Come on. You could be making so much more money off of this dog. Four, mind your own business. Thanks to Shaggy reading the map upside down, the sleuths end up in Gold City, an old mining town in the California desert, which is being haunted by the ghost of a miner from 1849 who is said to wander the mines looking for the last vein of gold. Oh, Shaggy, reading the map upside down. Um, that's, that's good stuff. This always reminds me whenever it's like maps and caves and shit of that movie, The Descent. I really hate... Okay... Most horror movies have at least one moment in them, right? That's like, and that's when they made a terrible decision that had horrible effects. And that movie is when I think she just leaves the map in the car and she realizes it at some point. But you're like, oh, dude, come on. You left the map in the car. You're going spelunking in a pitch dark cavern. And you, oh, I left the, ma the map in the car. Okay. I didn't think to, and also it's like, you didn't think to consult the map before you were lost. If you have a map, but you're completely lost in a cave, uh, how, how are you going to use that map to figure out where you are? That doesn't sound like a great plan. Come on, get it together. Get it together, lady spelunkers who are going to be terrorized by demon men. Three, a clue for Scooby-Doo. The gang's beach party is interrupted by a ghost in a glowing deep-sea diving suit, who they think is connected with the disappearance of several yachts. The mystery leads the gang underwater to a bay known as the Graveyard of Ships, where they run into the ghostly diver again. Yachts. I'm stealing yachts. I'm a yacht stealer. That seems like something that people could start doing. Everyone complains about, like, these Jeff Bezos super yachts and shit. Like, I don't know. That seems like a stealable thing. It's kind of the thing about stealing a car or a yacht or an airplane, right? It's like, well, you don't have to get away with the thing. The thing is also the getaway. Two, hassle in the castle. They're just like, eh, this is kind of a hassle. 
The gang goes out boating but gets lost in a fog and crashes their boat on the mysterious haunted isle. They decide to venture to the abandoned Vasquez castle on the island for help, but instead encounter a transparent phantom running loose who threatens them to leave the island and never return. You know what's weird about Scooby-Doo? It seems like each episode begins with Scoob and the gang not not looking for a mystery and not attempting to solve a mystery and then bumbling into one and then being like, well, let's solve this mystery. How come they're never like show up to a thing and they're like, you called because you have a mystery and we're mystery ink. What a night for a night. Episode one, the phantom menace. I wish that if I had found out that the first episode of Scooby-Doo was called the phantom menace, that would be great. While walking home, if I have a time machine and like unlimited ability to change things, that is the, what I'm going to do. While walking home from the movies, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo discover a black suit of armor in a pickup truck, and the gang deliver it to the local museum. The kids later break into the museum to search for the clues after learning that the archaeologist who is transporting the suit is missing, and they find the knight's armor has come to life. Okay, they quote-unquote find a suit of armor in a truck. Shaggy. Something that's in the back of a pickup truck is not just like public property. That belongs to whoever's pickup. You, you can't just like, oh, I found a, a huge toolbox. It was just sitting out in the open in the back of a pickup truck. Okay. Well, everybody, there we did it. We did Scooby-Doo. That was like a pre-Potoween Potoween. Um, what a waste I've just made. What an idiot. Alright, we'll see you next time for 499B, probably. Unless y'all really get off your ass. Like where are the bone thugs and are they in harmony? Do-do-do-do, you're a helpful snowman.